Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Live number 441. This week on the podcast, according to primary voters, taking away women's fundamental rights does, in fact, matter to people. Plus, it's clear people don't really understand how student loans work. And the White House Twitter is looking to add some special New Jersey flavor. Plus, Virginia tricks itself into banning gas cars in 2035. And Donald Trump announces his new memoir will contain all the nuclear codes. We'll have all this and more. This is Brain Trust Live. Hey, y'all, I'm Brent. I'm Lila, and you can find us on the web at www.braintrustlive.com. Here we are. We are back. We are coming to you from the uh, post-primary glory town of New York State. <laughs> right, that's right, yeah. I'm in the celebrated 19th CD, which has been yeah. all over the news. Yeah. Um, so, you know, things really couldn't be going better. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's been an exciting week in, it's been an exciting two weeks in politics. It's been an exciting end of summer because all of the state fairs have happened this month. <laughs> and so we've gotten to see some exciting um, political cameos in the state fair system. Yeah. Well, Pete Buttigieg, we know, loves the state fair because he ate every single solitary bite of food at the Iowa State Fair and it was documented and there's proof of it and it wasn't always flattering to see him it, doing it but you know what? I approve his commitment. To take, he was happy to take a mid-bite photo in any one yeah. of those food scenarios. Um, but he was at the Minnesota State Fair with Ilan right. Omar. Well their whole you know delegation basically but guys I just love Amy Klobuchar's commitment to hating Pete Buttigieg. She cannot be stopped. Few things stop, make me stop. happier because I don't really care for her otherwise. But yeah. that's the thing that I like grasp onto with Amy Klobuchar, where I'm like, maybe she's great. <laughs> <laughs> I am happy that she is willing to commit to the bit of being this petty about the Pete Buttigieg situation. Did not want to be. There's like a picture of them where like he's like walking like essentially like hand in hand with Ilhan Omar, and they're all like in a a line of like eight people or whatever, and Amy Klobuchar is like right next to him, but. It could not be further away from him if she was trying to be. And she was trying to be, in fact. Well, I think, she probably. also took some photos with him where she um, is like, he has his arm around her and she's doing the thing you do where you slightly angle your body so you don't have to put your <laughs> arm around the other person. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Those are I my mean, favorite. That was really one of my favorite storylines from the, um, the, the 2020 primaries. Oh. Was the I emerging mean, hatred of those two for each other. What a delight. Between, and also, but it couldn't have happened to two more irrelevant figures. <laughs> I mean, the fact that there was like a B story going on in the race that was just about how two also right. rans were 100% definitely mad at each other at all times was just like really an amazing, it really, it filled out the story of 2020 in a really delightful way. No, it, it absolutely did. <laughs> you know, you can't just have an A story if no. you want to have a good movie, mm -hmm. you know, you, you need a B story too. Yeah. They were really more of a C, more like a W story, but whatever. The point yeah. is, it was a delight. In it any was. case, we mentioned that there were primaries in New York, Florida, and Oklahoma uh, last week. And listen, I couldn't tell you if any good news came out of Oklahoma, aside from the fact that the guy who's running for Senate there is literally named Mark Wayne Mullen. And Mark, <laughs> Mark Wayne is one word. Yeah, that, I That's was, crazy. Yeah. It's not Mark, middle name Wayne, no. whatever. His name it's is Mark, Mark Wayne. Mark Wayne. His parents were just like, we have two names in mind. We're just going to stick them together. <laughs> they don't belong together. It's hard to say. It doesn't matter. We don't care. We're committing. So, yeah, um, and he's as terrible as someone who would have that name would be. Obviously. I mean, he's a literal nightmare person. Yeah. But beyond that, we had some exciting news coming out of Florida and some exciting news coming out of New York. In Florida, yes. we're going to be sending our first Gen Zer to Congress. Yeah, 25, Maxwell March Frost. for Our Lives organizer. Yeah. Beat my dear favorite, <laughs> Alan Grayson. It was one of those primaries where it was like three progressives running against each other. Yeah. And then he got the top, you know, he got like 25% of the vote or something like that. And then everyone else got like 13% of the vote. Yeah. It was a real uh, large primary field for progressives and yeah. also a very split vote. But who cares? It's a Democratic district. He's going to be great because he's going to be progressive and that's what we're looking for. And yeah. he's also going to be a person who's able, I think, 
to, I, you know, I'm not going to say that he's going to personally break the stalemate over gun control, but I am going to say that he is a person who's going to be able to go to the floor of Congress and say, I was a student who had a gun violence incident happen at my school. This is like, this is a real thing that happens to real people. And I'm one of those people standing in front of you. We are not just like fake teenagers that you don't have to deal with. Yep. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. Also in and Florida, then, they get to, in peak Florida fashion, they now get to pick between two Republican governor candidates. That's right. That's <laughs> One right. of them is the Democrat, supposedly. One of them has been every, he's he's America's governor, yeah. really, because he's yeah. been, he's sort of Lincoln Chafee'd his, his way around the Florida political system. Leave it to Democrats to nominate somebody who has historically been pro-life to be yeah. uh, the, <laughs> he's to now out there lead. like talking about being pro-choice, but like, you know, he himself has, we know has been on the other side of that issue. Charlie but. Crist has really had quite a journey. And I actually, in almost any other situation, I would be pretty pissed about this because I am in so many ways ready for Charlie Crist to go home. <laughs> in this one situation, I am sort of like, is there a world in which Charlie Crist, who is both a former Republican governor and a former Democratic governor of Florida, <laughs> is the guy who could beat a DeSantis because he's already been a Republican governor of Florida. So Republicans can happily vote for him knowing he's also yeah. a Republican. And maybe he... this kind of pulls back some of the secondary appeal of the crazy where it's like, I know there's the DeSantis people who are like actual loon bags and like, whatever, I don't know what to do with them, but there's probably yeah. a bunch of Republicans who are just like, well, he's the Republican. I'm not going to vote for a socialist or whatever they say to themselves in Florida. Yeah. And maybe those people can be like, but luckily Charlie Crist, was my was also a Republican governor Maybe. in Florida. He's everything. He also looks more Florida than I think probably almost anyone. I too uh, just in terms of I mean he's in terms of the over tanning situation. That's he couldn't that's be tanner. Much, he could not possibly be more tan. And I say that Chris. as a person who has seen Donald Trump with my eyes, so I <laughs> right. I know what exactly. tan looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he looks like he has been spending these intervening years sitting in the direct sun. Yeah, just you know, sort of soaking up Florida. Airing, Soaking up Florida, sharing with the people of Florida his vision for how to be Floridian, which includes being sort of above parties. I feel like he's really sort of like post-party in a way. Sure. Um, in yeah. a bad way. And but he's in a way. I think he's a person who knows what to do with his arms while standing. I think that is also, you know, a critically important role for a politician <laughs> is standing for photos and looking happy when you're not happy. And I feel like one thing that we learned about Ron DeSantis recently is that he stands like a centaur. So... <laughs> I feel what is like... it with Republican guys doing that? Is he just trying <laughs> to be Donald Trump? Is this a I new thing? So. I've never noticed it before. That he like, I oh, I got to stand. Like, this is how I'm supposed to be standing, like this guy. I think I think the Republicans <laughs> used to stand like everyone else. I don't know what's happening to them. Is, I would assume is, so. Didn't we also there... have Mike Pence having an arm situation at some point too? Well, Mike Pence is having a wax in person <laughs> situation, so it can't, it's hard. So that's a whole other conversation to have. Yeah, I feel like that's true. I do you think that the sort of like amount of cruelty that is running through their bodies right now is causing them to like morph oh, into like sort of like non-human form. Lock up maybe or something. Yeah, like because who was he? He was standing next to what's his face from Pennsylvania in that photo where Ron DeSantis, where he looks like a centaur. And he did too like everyone in the photo looks insane. Yeah. I don't know. The guy that Republican who's running for governor in Pennsylvania who's oh, yeah. blanking on. Um but yeah ever it's becoming a little bit of an epidemic. The the, really the problems standing like human situation. And if you're a Floridian and you want us to stop mocking your state, I would suggest that you at least have the decency to elect a governor who <laughs> can stand like humans do. That's the bare minimum. I agree. Let's talk um, about New have, York, though. Let's talk about New York. That's really New the, York primaries the were what a time was had. The, I've never seen so much coverage of the 19th CD in New York, a place that I am right now and can confirm has nothing in it. Like it, <laughs> it, it really couldn't be, it's, it's a weird district. It's gerrymandered within an inch of its life. And what's fascinating about it is there was a special election because Antonio Delgado, the representative here, uh, right. decided to, to leave, to take a dead end job as a Lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor. First of all, Lieutenant governor in New York state. Is, is he even going to win the race to be Lieutenant governor, by the way? He might win the race and then we'll never hear from him again. I can't well, name one single Lieutenant governor who didn't <laughs> ultimately become the governor because the governor turned out to be either a criminal or have to resign because of some some kind of scandal. Right. We only find out who the lieutenant governors are when the governor is forced to resign. Otherwise, you never hear from them again. I couldn't tell you one single. Yeah, nobody my parents ever, and I last nobody night. Nobody knew who Kathy Hochul was. 
No, exactly. My parents and I, my parents and I last night tried to name one other lieutenant governor in the entire history of New York State, and all we could come up with was David Patterson, Elliot Spitzer's lieutenant uh, governor, yeah, and that's because well, Elliot Spitzer left Elliot and he Spitzer. became the governor. Yeah. So it's hard to know what will happen to him, other than that we can be sure that we won't hear about it. Obscurity will happen to him. Obscurity is what will happen to them, which is what yeah. I I don't know. I think it was so dumb of them to throw this seat into this kind of mayhem, and the reason everyone is so excited about it is because the Democrat won the special election. Yeah. But the thing is that a, that Democrat is not running in the 19th CD in the general. Cause we've, you know, the state's been redistricted. So there's a different candidate running in the 19th CD in the general against the guy that ran in the special election. So it like, mm. it, it's really hard to read into what it means in the long term. It's nice that this swing district continued to be a democratic district. I don't yeah. know why we would have asked that question of ourselves. <laughs> I think it was a little risky of us to investigate the answer to that question, but yeah. you know, at least we know that People see uh, yeah. people seem to be reading into it that people I was do say, care but, about reproductive if, rights. If you were to have turned on the news, and I'm sure you're there on the ground, but even the national news it's, is acting like this is a crystal ball into who is going to win all 435 congressional yeah. elections come November. I mean, like people are acting like this is the this is it. Like Dem Democrats are fair, back in it now. <laughs> I'm excited. Anytime that a special election goes our way, because they sure. almost never do. And most of them um, have. Like, there's been like four or five, like, of, of late. late that have been since since Roe specifically that have got. And yeah. I think that's partly and why that's, people are, because I think Pat Ryan really did, you know, roll with that. Uh, yeah. And I think people are looking to figure out whether that will be influential in the vote. And they've yeah. been, pundits have been having a very hard time figuring out how, right. how to make, you know, specific uh, statements that they can't back up with any kind of information <laughs> right. about, you know, whether or not people care about Roe. And so you hear a lot of pundits confidently stating that they don't, and this gave them a chance to state that they do. And that was happy for everyone. So, right. you know, good work to Pat Ryan. He's somebody who ran in the primary against Delgado as well. He's, you know, he's somebody who I wouldn't say was my preferred candidate in that field, but he's a nice guy. So, you know, we did it. You um, met him? I, my parents have met him. I haven't met him. Sure. They, my parents obviously have met all of them because of my parents. Uh, oh, and also, so we had our sort of like village, um, like the village yearly festival, which mm. has been dormant for a few years. So it finally came back. The guy who's running for state assembly here um, walked in. My mother immediately walked up to him. She busted his chops for 10 to 15 minutes. And then at the very end said, okay, I have 10 minutes until the fashion show. I'm going to take you around and introduce you to everyone that I can find. And then <laughs> she basically did advance work for him. And this is, I think... A relevant story for anyone who is interested in being a busybody around their own community, because a thing that you can do when a politician comes to your neck of the woods, especially if their own advance team is failing miserably at doing a good job of introducing them to people, which is what this guy's team was up to, is you can just decide you're their advance team and you can just introduce them to everyone that you know. Sure. And so she was, showing, she was just like sh showing him around town. But first, the thing that you do is you first spend 10 to 15 minutes complaining to them so that they know that you're serious business. So, in any case, that was magical to watch. Let's talk Amazing. about the New York City races. First of all, let's hate Sean Patrick Maloney forever. Just as a general rule. Well, he won. you don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> don't don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> we know about it. We don't like him. We're mad about it. Now, yeah. let's... New York 12, the outcome was exactly what I predicted. So I'm now feeling like I might be an effective pundit because I had I had actually started to peel back a little because people seemed so concerned about the outcome in the 12th district, uh, which was the Nadler Maloney, Maloney uh, Siraj oh, Patel, Patel race. Yeah. Um, and I had confidently stated from the very beginning that Nadler was going to win that race. You had heard me privately state that repeatedly over the I course had. of many right. that was that was the information that you were sharing on the podcast but we're not sharing who the person was that you right. th thought was going to exactly win. Right. well but i was that... teasing this information and only i had known who she was talking about exactly but i can confirm that i said that months ago this was it and then yeah. i got nervous that i had said it so confidently because everyone seemed really concerned about what the outcome was you guys, I couldn't have been writer. It was. <laughs> it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. He got over fifty percent of the vote in a three-way race against the. Like, he was literally running against the head of the House Oversight Committee. I mean, I know yeah. he's judiciary, but still, like, that was a that and was even a big Patel deal. has run. Hasn't he run like two or three oh. times? So even he, well, he is a name there. Say what you will about him, but that's what I was going to well, say. So like, let's, the idea let's not that get he out would, of hand. Well, no, he's not I'm a just, name here. 
No, but I mean, like, people would, like, recognize, yeah. like, all I'm saying people, is for him, for him to have, yeah. he wasn't running against nobody's to get 50% of the vote. Exactly. Is like essentially what and, I'm saying. And, yeah. and Suresh Patel almost beat Maloney in the last yeah, right. election. Yeah. So people in Maloney's part of the district do know who he is. Do no one else is, does right. on the entire of planet Earth, but those <laughs> people definitely do. Yeah. New York 10 is where things have gotten kind of sticky. So Dan Goldman did end up winning New York 10. Right. Um, Yuli New, that, though, came within two points of beating right. him. And that was the one and with Mondaire Jones. Came in third. In right. And certainly you add up Mondaire and Yuli New and you've beaten... Uh, what's his nuts? Yeah, I mean, and even Carlina Rivera, a... I think, would also be. I think her voters were progressive. People are mad at her because, yeah. as my mom keeps claiming, she uh, took away all the trees. I don't know even <laughs> the details of that. It's just a thing <laughs> everyone is saying. I believe so, it. Um, That's it. But there's been a little bit of a groundswell that we are very in support of because we love chaos. That yeah. you lean. So that's a that's essentially an unopposed seat. That's going to go to a Democrat for sure. Dan Goldman won, but he only won with 26 percent of the vote. Yuli New was on a surge at the time. And really frustratingly, a lot of the coverage left her name out. She came within I mean, two points of yeah. winning. But because Mondaire Jones came in third, a lot of coverage of it pitted it as if Dan Goldman had beat Mondaire Jones. And no one right. mentioned that there was another candidate in the race, a woman who had come within two points of Dan Goldman. So in right. any case, who represents that represents that area in, in the your state legislature. Right. Yeah, yeah. Legislature. Yeah. So there is talk because she because Dan Goldman is not the progressive candidate in that race. No. There is talk of her running on the working families line and trying to challenge him in the general. This and is I what be I'm for looking it. for. I mean, you know that's, what? Had she won by two percentage points? He'd be running an independent candidate. Look, I mean, that's look currently what happened why in it, Buffalo. That's what I was going to say. That's currently why there is not a socialist mayor in New York State right now is because the moderate candidate got up to some fuckeration after the primary and ran as an independent. Do what you got to do, you. That's right. Well, and also in a in a district where there isn't a meaningful general election, then it right. does get then why not create a referendum on how far to the left that district wants to go? Totally. It, you know, obviously I mean, it wants to go further than he wants to take it because exactly. he only got 26 percent of the vote. Exactly. And the so, progressive got 50. Exactly. Yeah. So that's an exciting thing. And also, I think would be kind of great for the Working Families Party. They almost always run candidates that are also running on the on Democratic, the Democratic line. Party. And yep. I think that they kind of they have every once in a while they have done this before, I believe. But I think this would really establish them as a force to be reckoned with in New York State. And I think that's important. You know, we have a lot of other progressive parties that are also sort of eyeing how to do this in a place that allows candidates to run on multiple lines. That includes DSA. I mean, there's plenty of progressive parties that would probably like to be um, running people on their own lines that are separate from the main Democratic candidates. And also, it's good preparation because New York City is going to have ranked choice voting. And in a ranked choice system, Yuli New would have won for sure. 100%. So obviously, the federal elections are not ranked choice. But the point is that that, pre that preps all the parties in the state to kind of think about how they want to approach yeah. the ranked choice races. So that's kind of exciting. I agree. Well, and voters, I think, understand also, too. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that'll be interesting. Well, all that now, we're are we are we done with primaries? We're close, right? I think that we're Rhode getting Island there. might still be coming up. Somewhere in New England yeah. has September primaries because New England is the kind of place that does that. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, it now seems as though the Democrats are out here thinking that maybe, just maybe, they can keep the house. Yeah. We got dark, dark Brandon is rising, guys. Oh, God. <laughs> We're going to get These to that in a Brandon second. dark Brandon memes. I need to they have a discussion. They are giving us crumbs, and they are out here ready to tell us about it. <laughs> right? I, who is the graphic designer in charge of the dark Brandon meme? Because that person deserves to be, yeah, I don't graphic, know, deported. Yeah, graphic I, design is their passion, for sure. I, truly. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. But, you know, I mean, certainly we've had, you know, months and months of gloomy predictions. And now that the Democrats have passed, you know, two bills and had one executive action, we're, we're back in the game, guys. Firing on um, all cylinders. <laughs> firing on all cylinders, yeah. But there are a lot of people out there now, you know, Democratic fundraisers are saying there's an uptick in money. Some of the, you know, high dollar donors that have maybe not, you know, sent in their millions of dollars yet are supposedly thinking about, you know, kicking that money 
back in. And also Democrats have now seen, you know, some wins after these special elections. Um, even the Republicans this week, like issued a statement after that New York 19 telling everybody to calm down <laughs> because <laughs> there was some, I think even the recent polling had the Republican winning that district. Yeah, no, th so that, that was a bit of a surprise, concern. which I think is why also yeah. that was such a big storyline, because like the expectations were not that the Democrat was going to win there. No, and and the Democrat ended up performing about consistent with how Joe Biden performed in that district when he ran. So right. I think that they are also sort of thinking, does that track to the rest of the country? You know, are there yeah. other districts where generally in midterms they fall <laughs> apart? And do we have a chance of holding those places? Yeah, exactly. And I think he outperformed. Biden, I think most of the other special elections slightly, that we've had think, since yeah. slightly since um, uh, since the Roe decision have outperformed Biden. So, you know, the other thing is that I think Democrats are seeing some internal polling. Certainly, uh, Biden's approval numbers are up; but they're still not great. Inflation has slowed a little bit. Gas prices have gone down. They passed a, you know, sort of measly gun bill, but at least they passed it. I mean, they're sort of doing that, you know, you and I sort of had, we had a podcast maybe a couple months ago that was just sort of like, try anything. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so they're trying the bare minimum. And they've done that. And like, you know, I mean, look, Joe Biden promised us incrementalism and baby has I mean, he, no wonder he's so confident because he has come through. That's right. <laughs> right. I mean, he was like, at the I'm very gonna last do, moment, I'm going to do <laughs> just the, like you said, the bare minimum for you. That was, those were the promises we got. And he yeah. is crushing it. And so he's out here like, look at me go, guys. Right? right. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I think one, there was a funny, there was a funny quote from one um, uh, Democratic um, uh, pollster who said there's a big difference between having a zero chance of success and a 30% chance of success. So yeah, well, and it also allows them to redistribute some of their resources because a lot of their frontline candidates that they were concerned about now yes. are looking like maybe they don't have to be so concerned like Chrissy Houlihan style people. I think that's um, the biggest takeaway here. I think this was a story from the Washington Post where, you know, a lot of these people were speaking on the, you know, condition of anonymity, but like some of these people who they have in their frontline program in districts that Biden won with anywhere between 55 and 58% of the vote that they were sort of concerned about, you know, famously, I think a few months ago, Kevin McCarthy was saying anything that Biden won by less than 12 was fair game. Democrats are now thinking that maybe that isn't the case. So they've taken a whole handful of people off of their like yikes list which doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win, but it means that they feel like they're safe enough that like whatever money was going to have to be spent to defend there, they can use elsewhere. And there's a few seats that they think that they can flip. There's one here in California. Certainly they're, you know, trying their hand at going on the offense on row. Um, so they at least, the other thing that they said too is like, you know, and again, what we have been saying is that like just saying that Republicans are bad and extreme is not enough. And now, now they can couple that with Democrats have delivered. I'm using air quotes, which you can't see, um, <laughs> on, on delivered, because I feel like that's, you know, for me, maybe pushing it a little bit, but like, at least there's like a second story to tell, right? Like you can do like- and They you needed can, just anything. They needed you know, They anything. needed literally one thing to say they had done so that they would have a talking point. Right, right. And now they have a couple. also haven't delivered on much recently. Well, that's the thing. It's I mean, they like, yeah, like the same pollster, I think said that they feel like they can at least now like come to a draw with Republicans on the economy, right? Because right. of the things that have sort of gotten better and the fact that, you know, uh, they've they've done so they've passed the inflation reduction act and whatever else that they've done that as we mentioned so in our last podcast specifically targets inflation reduction <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you know i think that they at least sort of like feel like they can go out there and be like we've done x y and z where literally 3 months ago all they could do was be like republicans are bad yeah um no and i think also <laughs> they needed to be able to say you elected us to do specific things and we have delivered on those things. So that is what, you know, the, the loan forgiveness plan, which is what we're going to talk about next yeah. is an ex a thing that, you know, <laughs> while of course it's not as extensive as we had hoped, but it's actually more extensive than I expected. So I'm, I will say that. Um, but I think 
just being able to say, I told you I would cancel $10,000 in student loans and I did yeah. gives, it's a talking point that, you know, he needed so that he could say there is a reason to elect us. Yeah. We do what we say. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, to that extent, they have rushed in some legislation just now that gives them the ability to do that on certain points on, you know, on the environment, even though, again, is that as extensive a package as I would hope or expect from thinking people? Of course not. But no. is that a time that they can say that they did something for, about the environment? Yes. Like yeah. these are all things that are just the bare minimum being done in service of talking points, but we didn't have talking points before. So things are getting <laughs> that's better. It. That, right. That's, that's a thing. Yeah. So anyway, so let's talk about student loan forgiveness. Let's do it. You know, um, the reaction to this has been all over the place. I mean, it really wow. is wild in the sense that it's like he he threaded the needle so hard that he really just sort of like he made republicans mad which they were going to be mad if he forgave one dollar of debt and still managed to make the left mad because it was sort of you know pennies to what a lot of people have in student loans which i think was ultimately the thing that like still has me a little upset about this although i do yeah. agree with you that there's like some things in here that i think like at least get at some of the root issues with why people's loans are so exorbitant. So like, that's good anyway. But like, if you knew, like, you knew the, it sort of is the whole thing where like, we're always scared of Republicans calling us socialists, right? Right. Because like, no matter what you do, they're going to call you that. And they did, right? They came. Right. So just be a they, socialist. They came for him. So it's just sort of like, at least make your base happy, right? I, I, like, I just don't get this oh, idea they that- They were like freaking out too. On, like Republicans are currently- freaking oh, all the way out on Twitter. Well, it's because they know that it's going to help. I mean, Ted Cruz right. said that out loud on a podcast recently where he was like, this is probably going to help Democrats in the midterm. So like they are, they're panicked. There is no quiet part to say out loud anymore. The no. Republicans say all the parts out loud. Yeah, because so. somebody also this week said that the reason that we don't do student loan forgiveness is because we want people to have to join the military to right. be able to get their GI. Uh, this is really going to hurt <laughs> recruitment. <laughs> Yikes, guys. National preparedness <laughs> relies on you being burdened by tens burdened of thousands of dollars debt of debt. Until, yeah. until you're a senior citizen. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I think my there was a uh, there was a demonstration of 50 over 50, which is people who are over 50 with over $50,000 of student debt oh recently. And I was like, what other nation is having 50 over 50 demonstrations when it right? comes to student loans? Good Lord. <laughs> anyway, here's what's in it. They yeah. do, they, it's $20,000 in debt cancellation for Pell Grant recipients um, oh. for loans held by the Department of Education. $10,000 in debt cancellation for non-Pell Grant recipients who make under $125,000 a year. These are all public loans, though. None of the private loans are... Right. These, yeah. Government-held loans. Yeah. Right. They're extending the payment pause until December 31st, which is what you would do if you were going to try to get elected, but do not one moment longer. <laughs> because another thing that we've re frequently spoken about is how much you could just never make them start again. Well, right. Just cancel them forever. Just be like, you all have the debt, but it's not real debt because yeah. you'll never well, have to pay And that's the other thing that I have always felt like Biden, part of the reason why Biden didn't want to do this by executive action is because he's sort of, you know, he's now officially like given up the ghost, right? I mean, yeah. like there's, he can't six months from now be like, well, we just can't stop repayments and forgive debt because you can, as it turns out, because can. you just it did. Turns, nothing <laughs> happens if you do that. Nothing. Other than people's yeah. lives are less miserable. <laughs> right. <clears throat> they are proposing at the DOE a new income-driven repayment plan that protects low-income bar borrowers from making any payment um, that from make it lowers the payment caps and protects low-income borrowers from having to make payments beyond you know what they can afford theoretically. I think five percent of their discretionary income, which is down from ten percent. So um, the lowering the repayment you know uh, cap, cap is essentially uh, yeah a good. A good thing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think the 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 one that was most interesting to me is the uh, is the interest related yes specification or the interest related policies here. Um, so basically, they are going to cover their borrowers' unpaid monthly interest um, so that basically so that your loan can't continue to grow while you're making minimum payments. So as long as you make minimum payments on your loan, they're not going to continue to keep adding interest. Which... Right. And that's why student, that really is sort of like gets at the heart it's of, interest. you know, it's interest rate. And, and we have talked about that 
you know, and all of these things are great. You know, I think I tweeted at one point after all of these got released, I was like, hmm, it's almost as if they know that these loans are predatory <laughs> because they're like, uh, uh, you know, sort of like getting at some of these things that sort of like make them so problematic. But like, that's why people who are, that's why you have to have 50 over 50 uh, yeah. get together. Yeah, it's all interest. Is, it's people interest. Who's, right. whose debt is often higher than the in, than the loans right. they actually You hear all out. these stories about people who have been paying their student loans for 20 years and, you know, can't, the, the loan balance is bigger than it was when they took out the loan. And speaking of length, they're actually going to forgive balances after 10 years of payments instead of 20 years for borrowers with original loan balances of $12,000 or less. And the, part, the Department of Education estimates that that is going to get rid of essentially all community college debt um, after 10 years. So if you pay for whatever you know community college for 10 years, then it would be forgiven. Although Biden himself at some point has been trying to run on making community college free. So I'm not sure why that community college debt could have just been entirely forgiven. That's its own thing. So it, I, I was going to say, every time that I read one of but... these things, I'm just like, oh, but we could just not have the debt. In the well, that's like... the thing. It's sort of like all of these things sound good when you first read them. And then they're like, oh, but this is all just like not necessary. <laughs> right. We could just not yeah. have any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else is in here? Is there anything? I think else the only is... other thing is they are um, going to raise the amount that's considered non-discretionary income that's yes. protected. from. So when, when you're minimum payments are being calculated, they have raised the cap on that as well, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So if you're earning <clears throat> under 225% of the federal poverty level, which is about $15 an hour, um, you know, sort of where the minimum wage conversation is right now, um, you won't have to make a monthly payment yeah. at all. Um, so, you know, look, could this be better? Yes, of course it could be. Is it basically what he promised? Pretty much. I think the yeah. one the 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 plan that is still on his website, I think, claims that they're going to forgive all um, state uh, school loans and all um, uh, HBCU loans. So yes. they didn't do that. So I think there are people that are still mad about that. And certainly, black women are the people who shoulder the most student debt. They're the largest group of people who have debt over twenty thousand dollars. So they are going to be the people who are still going to have loans after 10 or $20,000 is forgiven. So there's, you know, a million reasons why he should have just done 50 at the bare minimum or just said they're gone. Um, but, you know, I do think that like, we have to keep pushing because that's really, I think people forget also that like, this is an issue that like has moved pretty quickly. And Joe Biden is a man who infamously, you know, made student loan harder for you to, you know, put into your bankruptcy, right? I mean, like, this is a man who has previously loved people having student loans. And, and this and is also 2000, a man, oh, oh, I was, this is also a man who had until very late in the campaign cycle adhered to the policy that perhaps your grandparents are saying to you now, what that was basically about, you know, he was, he was one of the people that was sort of supporting this fallacy that there was some similarity between the student debt of your and student debt yes. today. Yeah. You know, he yeah, so he was not exactly. interested in any forgiveness because his, you know, the way that he spoke about student loans for most of the last name many decades, because he's been in office since I was born, yeah. but like has been sort of blind to the fact that the the whole game changed in the last 20 years and yeah. nobody did anything about it. Yeah. But this 100 percent and this idea, you know, people have been sort of like jokingly sharing that. Um, what's his name? Uh, um John, uh, oh gosh, has the show on HBO. His name just John escaped me. John Oliver. I just like literally couldn't remember his last name all of a sudden. But in you guys, 2016, we're recording this much later at night than usual. I are. don't know if you can tell. Yeah, and but he sort of had he had a segment like in 2016, like dragging Jill Stein for the idea that like you could just be forgiving people's debt. Yeah. So like that's literally the last you know presidential election that we had before Biden was elected, were people claiming that this was like a fringe idea. So like the reason that any of this got done is because he was pushed to do it. And so we should continue to push him to do it. And the other thing that I wanna say is like, people's reaction to this has been like, 
similar to like during COVID where like when we were just like sending people checks, people were just, or like giving away vaccines for free. People were like, what are you going to do? Like give insulin away for free next? It's like, yeah, let's, let's do that. Yeah. Let's give insulin away for free. So many people's response to this has been like, but what about medical debt? Or what about the fact that this doesn't fix the problem that college is too expensive? Or my tax dollars shouldn't pay for other people's loans. Now is a great time for some education on all of those questions, yeah. right? Because in terms of medical debt, let's cancel that next. Nobody okay. should have medical debt in this country. Uh, nobody should be paying, you know, $30,000 a year to go to a state school. So Rent. that's 40,000. Don't be ridiculous. It's like up to, it's like, it's like 50 or 60. The, the highest school? cost ones. God, I'm are, getting old too. <laughs> are so much higher than even they were when we were in college. Yeah. I, looked at something recently and it was like, I don't know, it was about like Michigan or one of the like yeah. you know top tier state schools. And I was just like, yeah. you have got to be kidding me about the tuition. It was so much, it was like on par with the private education. Wow. It was crazy. I just feel like now is a good time for like some education to be done. See, even I need it apparently. No, I, well, and that's, <laughs> you know, I think like, like this is like a problem. We can respond to these things like in kind, you know, like let's be, let's be like, yes, you're absolutely right. No one in America should have medical debt. It's also a problem that's growing exponentially. So the sooner we handle it, the like we're we're stopping exponential growth problems because I think the other thing is that college is like the the cost of college is growing at a rate that is more rapid than it used to grow. Yeah. So the the quicker we get to the point in the conversation where we can cancel debts, the the quicker that we save like many more people from suffering. Yeah. much larger debts. The, yeah. the, 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 the balances we're talking about are getting bigger every year. It's not like we are in a static situation, which, and I think that's the primary misunderstanding between a lot of, you know, older people that were hearing say things like when I was a kid, you, I worked and that's what put me through college yeah. is that they are not aware just as we are not aware about how expensive college is right now, because we've been out of college <laughs> for, you know, 20 years or whatever, like the, um, they are not aware of how much more expensive it is than they could even possibly conceive Imagine of that, yeah. if the, if there was a logical, you know, if events had transpired logically according to yeah. their last information. Yeah. It's like it's like coming from a planet where you the last time that you were anywhere it was 1950 and finding out what home prices are now. <laughs> right, right. Where you'd be like, wait, that's not a logical mm -hmm. amount of growth yeah, for home right. prices. And that is true. The the quicker that you handle the, you know, inflation when it comes to real estate, the more people have homes, the, you solve an, a problem that is growing exponentially. You don't solve a problem that is just like a little bit out of whack with what you might expect. Yeah. So in any case, um, in the midst of all of this, so Twitter like freaked out because old people freaked out and also greedy people freaked out. Yeah. Also, one thing that I want to say about <laughs> everyone's freak out <laughs> is I, it, it occurred to me mid other people freaking out that the most insane part of all of this is that it's means tested because I kept hearing uh, people being like, I don't want to pay for rich people's college educations. The thing is, this is like a self-selecting problem where rich people don't have student debt and poor people do. That's the like, thing. The people you don't need to are... means if you need, if you have debt, you need the relief. It's not yeah. like we can decide that there's a rate past which you should be able to afford it. We actually know. don't know that to be true. Well, that's what's so funny because it's like wealthy people are by nef are by definition people who have wealth as opposed to people who have debt it's in the name if you're a wealthy person it's right there you're not a, right. a you're not a daddy person, person. <laughs> you're a wealthy person so like no i mean, I mean it's just <laughs> it's so crazy the way that this has been misconstrued and misunderstood by people because i think there's this sense that college remains this like elite thing that only rich people do when in reality only rich people do it without debt right it's not that only rich people do it it's just that they're the ones who don't have debt from it <laughs> right their lives don't get ruined by college education unlike everyone else <laughs> right in any case um, one thing that we, so one of the great things that was memes that was going on in the aftermath of all of this was people who were, you know, uh, replying to people, uh, in their mentions on tweets where they had said things like, you know, critical of the student loan debt relief thing, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene replying with the amount that their PPP loan was forgiven for. <laughs> and it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was huge amounts. And yeah. so the white house got in on the fun. And yeah, their official, the you know, official White House Twitter, the official White House Twitter got in Marjorie Taylor Greene's mentions and told her that she had had one hundred eighty three thousand five hundred and four dollars <laughs> in PPP loans forgiven. Brought and everyone receipts. was like, what? 
on earth is happening because the White House Twitter account could not be less effective at communicating literally anything interesting ever on yeah. in, on most days. And then it turned out that they had hired the the woman who used to run the, the official state of New Jersey Twitter account, which was sort of famously yeah. sassy right. to run the White House Twitter account. So it's possible. And listen, she might have her dreams crushed by this experience, but it is possible that we are about to see what Gen Z can offer I know. if you don't try to message everything in a way that's only appropriate for the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. The New Jersey um, <laughs> Twitter used to famously respond to questions with your mom. <laughs> like, right. that, that, so that's what they're up to. That's who's running the White House uh, Twitter right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But um, this in any case, I think also marks a shift in their messaging. And I have a personal opinion about how this happened. And I think that we can thank John Fetterman for it, honestly. I I mean, it's working famously for him right now. I mean, that's all he's, he's winning. But I think I saw a poll right before this podcast started that he's ahead by like 16 points or something. Like that's a battleground state, guys. <laughs> so wild. <laughs> right? But I mean, like he showed that there's a way to do this and have fun with it and entertain yeah. people. And it well, grabs headlines, but it did not detract from the seriousness of his campaign because no. well, in his case, he's running against the fake person anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> right. like, you know, I don't feel like Fetterman is not running a serious campaign. I just feel like he is using social media in the ways that you should use social media. He is communicating his positions on it, but he is also using it to grab headlines for his campaign so that he can communicate his positions in media. Yeah. And that's really what social media should be used for. Yeah. And connecting to younger people who are not necessarily reading traditional right. media right. with information that pulls them in. And then they're following John Fetterman's Twitter account. And then they also accidentally find out what he stands for. As opposed to um, what Val Demings is doing on TikTok right now. Oh my now. God! You guys <laughs> talking about how great wonder how, how much she she loves the police like while doing a really bad Twitter dance to something that doesn't have anything to do with anything. TikTok I mean, like, dance. It's a TikTok, TikTok. dance. Oh, it's not even sorry. a Twitter dance. It was no. even well, that's worse not a than thing, that. But, it's not, well, that's yeah. true. No, but I mean, like this this is an example of why you potentially need younger people who are not bad at social media to consult with you before you start your campaign TikTok. Yeah. Remember when John Ossoff was musing about Musil.ly oh, on his? I mean, I sure do. there have been some bad examples of TikTok usage among <laughs> uh, candidates. Yeah, It just I feels agree. like somebody should get Fetterman's team on, on the phone. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, I feel like it was a stupid thing, right? It's just the White House Twitter. But right. first off, I saw more nutty leftists retweeting the White House and sort of right. making jokes about being shocked about retweeting the White House because they are sort of like, I'm talking about people who are notoriously like hating on the White House, who don't think, who thinks, you know, Joe Biden is worthless. Uh, you know, the the far left Twitter sphere right. that I find myself on from time to time. And I honestly think that like there's a lesson here because yeah. a it was funny and people were talking about it all of these tweets were trending for a while but like it was an it ended up being a news story so like that was good anyway just because it was publicity but also you know i think that like there's this perception in the biden sphere that like and he's even voiced it a few times when he was sort of like talking about the activists who have been out of step with the party and various things like i think that he thinks that like he's never going to please them so like why try and they're just going to be angry people on Twitter who are never going to like him and whatever. But honestly, I don't know that that's, it's true to a certain degree because like we don't agree with him on policy decisions or on, you know, on policy. But at, at the core, we have really just been wanting him to like act like he understands like the fight that he's in, right? Like this is why everybody has all of a sudden decided that they love Gavin Newsom, even though they don't really necessarily love Gavin Newsom like me, right? Like he's just sort of like, he's appearing in public as though he's like engaged in the fight that we're all in here. And, and, Which is all anyone really needs from right? him as the sort of figurehead. Right, and that's what this, these tweets from the official White House Twitter represented. That's what the stupid dark Brandon memes, as terrible as they all are, like I certainly am not trying to be looking at image, cartoon images of fire coming out of Joe Biden's eyes while he's sitting on the Iron Throne from Game of Thrones. Like, it's not personally what I'm looking for, but like, it's at least sort of like putting forward an image of like, I'm fucking out here doing things. Yeah. 
And like, that's and really at the minimum what I'm looking for. It's, it's, it's the minimum of public communications when you are <laughs> the president. Right. It's like mostly, most of his job is just saying stuff in public. Yeah. Being the president involves, it's a, it's a largely communications driven role. Yeah, totally. It's, it's about being, it's about sort of being seen as the leader. It's about seeming like you're in the trenches. It's about seeming like you understand what's going on in the nation. It's a, it's about communicating important information to people. That's, that's a lot of what the executive branch actually does. Totally. And I know and we're in a situation where we see them having to basically just like govern via executive order for the last 20 years. And so we've sort of lost sight of what the executive branch you know, what their role is. And certainly they have roles that have to do with, you know, safety and, and the military and blah, blah, blah. But they're also, their, their primary role as a function of the party system is to communicate why the vision of the party that's in the majority at that moment is the best vision and why it matters. Yeah, totally. And I think that like, I don't know what took him so long. And maybe he literally, you know, maybe he just needed to get his mojo back. I don't know. Maybe he needed maybe he needed some legislative wins. But even he himself, besides the White House Twitter, you know, have been sort of like, I don't know that I would necessarily like call it combative, but I mean, like at least sort of like acting like he's like, you know, a fighter for the people sort of, I guess, you know, there's all these stupid memes, but like vaguely even, engaged, even, right? Like even this week, like after the press conference on the student loan forgiveness, like somebody, uh, one of the reporters, as he was walking out of the room, like asked him whether the loan forgiveness was fair to people who paid their debts. And his response, like in a fairly aggressive way was, is it fair to people who in fact do not own a multi-billion dollar business? If they see one of these guys give them all a tax break, is that fair? What do you think? And then basically like walked out of the door. He was at some other thing this week where he called MAGA Republicans semi-fascists. Uh, I don't know what would make them full fascist that they're not currently doing I was going to say, already. I would anyway, love like, to know what's the on. the first time that he's used that word. You know, he's also like talking about like, you know, the survival of our planet is on the ballot. He's talking, I mean, like he's like out there sort of like back, like seeming like he's like, let's fucking go. And, and it's nice to see for. him at least peer his head out and try that for once. <laughs> right. Well, it's certainly not anything he's tried yet. It certainly is not. <laughs> no. And I think given the sort of severity of the crisis that we were in when he took over, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that they will find that this will be more effective with voters because voters yeah. are in a combative mood because things have been really insane for years right. and everyone's tired of that. I know. It's like, I just want someone who seems like they're going to take charge so that I don't have to be vigilant. I'm right? sick of being vigilant. And we know he can be combative. He was famously combative with voters. I don't want him That's to be right. combative with voters, but I mean, you know, he once challenged an obese man to a push-up challenge and That's called right. someone a something dog-faced pony soldier or oh, something. I don't yeah. know. I mean, whatever it was. <laughs> so like, this is, a, this is a man who is not afraid, you know, to get in an argument with somebody. So, true. so like, just choose who you're going to get in the argument with better Yeah, <laughs> and go for and it. Commit, commit, get out there, do it. And that's Direct what he's doing. His now. Energy is productively. That's what he's doing right now. Um, so it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. It also feels good that for the entire hiatus of the January 6th committee hearings, we've gotten nothing but salacious updates about other crimes that Trump is being investigated for and probably, you know, has committed. So I these this Mar-a-Lago raid has yielded an exciting several week long uh, gossip fest about yeah. what exactly he had stolen from the White House and what exactly he was supposed to return to the National Archives. We so far know that there's about 700 pages of classified information, 150 <laughs> classified documents were recovered from the Mar-a-Lago thing. But um, there, it turns out that the number of documents that he stole that they have been trying to get back is so much bigger than anyone realized. And also that some of these documents pertained to like, you know, to, to what I think what they call like human intelligence or yeah. it, it pertained to the identities and safety of intelligence assets abroad, which means that A, I think we can confirm in our hearts and minds that he was trying to sell to, to sell secrets to yeah. other countries. Yeah. Um, it's That's the only reason that you would need that kind of information. Apparently also, he had written like notes on them and things. But my favorite part of the whole thing was that when asked for comment about why he would have done this, I believe his newest counsel, he's having trouble finding lawyers, but his newest counsel suggested it was for his memoirs. 
Can you guys imagine Donald Trump just like sitting down at a desk with a stack of documents and then consulting those documents to write a memoir? Like the image is just so hilarious. Uh, this is a man who doesn't type. He just dictates. I know. Yeah. Like the, the reason that they know that these are his notes on the documents is they're all in felt tip pens. Yeah. Famously only uses those in Sharpies. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and, but this is, I, I was thinking about this and you sort of mentioned this right at the top, but it was like, you know, we're doing the January 6th thing, right? He's been twice impeached already. You know, the Trump uh, nonprofit, whatever that was called, has already been shuttered. Uh, Letitia James has him in the crosshairs for the Trump org. I feel like, you know, a month ago, if you would have been like, this guy's going to get indicted because he had top secret information at Mar-a-Lago, I would have certainly believed you that that was a thing that yes. could have been happening. Because like, why, because why wouldn't he have been doing that, obviously, right? right? But also, I could have told like, you he was doing that before he did it. I'd... I mean, it's hard to keep track of. And I feel like every time something like this happens, it's sort of like, oh, well, he's finally going to get indicted, <laughs> right? And then he's here not... we are years later. But I, this is actually all like... It seems like it's only a matter of, like we're on indictment watch on this, I think, right now. Because also, I think that what this does, having occurred during the hiatus in America's highest rated television programming of the year, <laughs> the September the January sixth hearings, yeah. um, which are returning in September, mm -hmm. it makes it so that more people are going to see the writing on the wall and feel inclined to turn on him. Yeah. This puts a lot of pressure on people who are protecting him still. And the person who is floating talking to the January 6th committee right now is yeah. a person that I said would be the guy who ended this. And that is Mr. Mike Pence. Himself. Mike Pence. Yeah. So I suspect that the more that this kind of news continues to percolate and, you know, listen, do I want to be Merrick Garland in this situation? Not particularly. It sounds awful. Yeah. Do I want to be Tish James? Maybe. It sounds more fun what she's doing. But I mean, these, these investigations may lead to indictments. They may not. You can never tell with Trump. He seems to, nothing ever seems to stick to him. Yeah. But the impression that's being created in the off season of his hearings where he, where, where we really, you know, where we have a really salacious gossip fueled, crazy story of a government coup, the, 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 the impression that's being created by all of this news is that he is a dead man walking. And once you are protecting a dead man walking, yeah. you start to think to yourself, should I keep doing this? And so I think that this puts a lot of pressure on people to give up information related to the hearings that it's going to be really entertaining to hear on live television, but also is going to make that case much more airtight. Yeah, people are going to start running from him shortly, I think. And you've started to see that a little I mean, they bit already. already. Are. I mean, they already are, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why but it's I mean, been hard for him to find to find legal counsel. I mean, and and this is like this is you know, there's there's certain scandals where Republicans would be like, oh, we don't care about this scandal, <laughs> right? But like a, a national, what ultimately boils down to like a national security scandal is like also not the scandal that they're trying to be like party to, right? Yeah. Um, no, this puts so, so many other, like the, the kind of confluence of all of these stories, the idea that he got a mob to come to the Capitol, that he was selling secrets to what we can assume are the Russians or the Saudis or some other evil force. I mean, we can all use our imaginations to figure out what was <laughs> sure. going on there. But I mean, like, the confluence of all of those things together makes it very difficult to hold the party line forever. <laughs> like, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. It is exciting. And or maybe his memoirs are coming. We can find out what he's been thinking. That's also these exciting. Years. Guys, if we yeah, get a memoir I mean, from Donald Trump, I don't, ca I don't care Trump. if he wrote it or not. <laughs> no. That I would love to. I was listening. Straight into my eyeballs. <laughs> I was listening <laughs> recently to Michael Wolff's latest book, Landslide, which is a year or two old now, but it's about the about them not accepting the results of the election. Mm. But even back then, he's talking about the reason he, you know, the reason his legal counsel was so insane for that second impeachment hearing is because he could not find lawyers to represent him. You oh, know, yeah. the guy who ended up representing him only was doing it to show off to his son. And so they tried to tell him that his son couldn't have a seat in the, you know, in the uh, impeachment hearing room. And he flipped out and threatened to walk. Like, yeah. these are these are just sort of things that are catching up to him finally that have already been in the works for years. But I, yeah. I think I'm excited to hear the people that have been keeping his secrets tell their stories on live television, as opposed to like, I want more Cassidy Hutchinson hearing. Totally. And I feel like we could be getting those. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. So agreed.
anyway, in totally unrelated news, uh, California just banned elect uh, banned gas cars after 2035. I did not even know this was a possibility. Uh, to be I, honest, I, I didn't either. Yeah. I mean, what a what a move. They're gonna yeah. they they want vehicles to be all electric by 2035, and I think that's that's exciting for a number of reasons. One is that. One of the challenges of the electric car situation as it stands now is it's near impossible to drive an electric car if you live in an apartment or in a dense urban area, because though there are some public charging stations, many more in L.A. than there are in, like, say, New York City, um, it it can be very difficult. If you don't have charging at home and you have a car, it's really difficult to do the equivalent of gassing up. And so because of that, you know, a lot of infrastructure changes would need to take place in order for us to go all electric in the state of California. A, you know, people who have apartment, you know, street parking would have to have options where they could essentially like refuel or, you know, plug in their cars or whatever. In a, they, they would need high speed connections to do that. They would need places that they could do that where, you know, it's not overrun and always filled with people. And all of that takes some planning. So that's why this goal is so far out. But this is a really big deal because it basically provides the impetus to start creating that infrastructure. Yeah, totally. And, you know, this California is a state that takes emissions really seriously. Yeah, we know well, that because we're constantly one of the having states, to get smog checks. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> well, and they're one of the states that I think, or maybe the only state I don't know, but has like a waiver from the federal government where they can like set their own emissions standards, yeah. right? And because of that, there's something interesting going on that I had no idea of. A lot of states. Um, can decide to opt in to following California's standards. And there's a few states that do so, like Washington State does. Jay Inslee, you know, I think has decided to do that as when he was the governor there. Massachusetts has decided to do that as well. So there's some other states that are going to like attempt to do this as well. But in doing some research for this, Virginia passed a law that Northam signed in his last year of office, actually, that tied Virginia's emission standards to California's. So Virginia now like by, by law. law has to do this. And their statewide republic, they're you know, now have a Republican governor, I think also a couple other statewide Republicans um, as of this year are like big mad about it. <laughs> and they're hoping it's the legislature amazing. will like repeal it so they don't have to do this because like they like they sort of tricked themselves into doing it, which is great. Like, I'm here for it. But now they're sort of like, oh, shit, we have to do this now. (laughs) By the way, let this be the confidence you need if you're a California voter to know why your vote matters so much. I get we don't have any representation in the Senate. I get it. But (laughs) California, when it comes to environmental policy and a lot of other, you know, in a lot of other areas that are sort of traditionally controlled by the state, actually has a huge amount of influence because states follow what California does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and in, in this instance, too, not only do states do it, but like this is going to speed up, like you said, the infrastructure, but it's also yeah. going to speed up car companies, you know, because California is, I mean, we're the car capital of the yeah. the country as well. So it's like if anybody wants to sell cars to, you know, however many <laughs> millions of people live in California that all need one, certainly in Los Angeles so, they do, then they better get those electric cars ready for sale, guys. Because... All 40 million people in California have a personal vehicle. So. <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah. also, Californians famously, especially Southern Californians, famously replacing them every five seconds. <laughs> sure. So right. it's a big market in part because everyone constantly needs the newest, coolest car. Yeah, for sure. Everyone but Lila Nordstrom. I know. Well, you can continue to drive the car that you, they're not going to come and the government's right. not, not going to come, come and, and take your car away from you. And you're still going to be able to buy used cars as well. You just can't buy new gas vehicles. Yeah. Um, Honestly, so, though, if my apartment had a plug, I would happily get an electric car. Sure. Like you're not just going to. A lot like, of it has to do with being a renter. You know, it's really it difficult as a renter to. Um, have an electric vehicle because you just don't have the same control over your parking situation. But this kind of move could help change that. So yeah, for sure. In any case, that's the news, you guys. We did it. it. It's 10 p.m. and we can, you know, now we can stop. (laughs) Now we can stop. It's 7 p.m. Um, for me, so I'm gonna have a cocktail. But yeah, Brent's got all (laughs) night ahead of him. I do. In any case, we will be back next week and then you will know more about what we thought. That's right. Oh, listen to um, What Can I Do? Oh, yeah. Listen to What Can I Do? We posted our second 
interview last week with Ashanti uh-huh. Golar from Emerge. That's great. Um, and then we are we have a new episode going up on Wednesday. We also now have a store with merch. Oh yeah, my merch? co-host is an organized person Cute. who knows artwork. how to do things. Also, I mean, episode artwork coming out. Yeah. So things are really full speed so ahead over there. So make sure Seriously. to go subscribe. And we are also going to be recording in, um, sort of recap episodes where we talk about all of the political action strategies that we've heard our guests talk about. I love that because I was curious about yes. that. Actually, that's, so that's such coming up as well. a good idea. Just sort of like literally make it really practical for people. Totally. Love yeah, that. because we want... We want you to know to know how to actually do something that you both feel comfortable and interested in and, you know, are and, and excited yeah. about. And we want to make sure that you know what the options are. So really we're going to be doing that, that as well. That's right. So, God you know, bless you. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Bye.